Take your Bibles and turn with me, please, to Isaiah chapter 59. It's on page 1046. And uh, in just a moment, we'll look at all these wonderful 21 verses. Several years ago, I read an amazing biography about a famous English preacher named John Newton. Most of us know him as the author of the hymn, Amazing Grace. I call that the Baptist National Anthem. John Newton, though, was not always a man of grace, nor was he a gospel preacher. Early in his life, he was a slave trader. He sailed to Africa. He bought slaves and sold them. On one particular trip, he and the people on his ship were in a terrible storm. And it almost took the lives of Newton and all of his shipmates. But finally, they were able to pass through that storm after several days. And during that terrible storm, is when the Lord touched Newton's heart. His mother had taken him to church when he was a boy. I want to say this to you. You may have to drag your kids to church, but it's worth it. Because later in life, even if they don't get it when they're young, God can use that in their lives later on. And he realized that the Christ that his mother had shared with him was real. And to make a long, long story short, he surrendered his life to Christ, renounced in time, renounced slavery, and began to preach. He is one of the smartest people, I believe, that ever filled a pulpit. And he's got many witty statements. One of the things he said, though, that I'll never, ever be able to forget is this. He was getting older, and he said this, my memory is fading, but I will always remember two things very clearly. I am a great sinner, and Christ is a great Savior. I am a great sinner, and Christ is a great Savior. Can we all say that together? I am a great sinner, and Christ is a wonderful, great Savior. Amen. His quote is fitting on what we're talking about today. In Isaiah 59, we again see a prophetic word referring to our Lord Jesus Christ. It's toward the end of the text today. But I want to talk to you about Jesus, the Savior every sinner needs. First of all, Jesus is the Savior every sinner needs because only Jesus can cure the repulsiveness of sin. Sin is a stench in the nostrils of Almighty God. 
Notice what he says here about the repulsiveness of sin, beginning in verse 1. Cry loudly. Don't hold back. God is talking here to his prophet. Raise your voice like a trumpet and declare to my people their transgressions and to the house of Jacob their sins. When you read the last part of Isaiah, chapters 40 through 66, Isaiah is often comforting his people, the people of God. But he also at times would confront them of their sins. Here he called attention to just how repulsive their transgressions were to God. And he told them it's futile to try to hide your sins from God. He pointed out their sins so they would repent, cry loudly, don't hold back, raise your voice like a trumpet, trumpets are loud, declare, that is shout to my people their transgressions and to the house of Jacob their sins. Sometimes we need to shout when we see sin. Sin is a, like a dirty flesh wound. If it stays hidden, it will get infected. But if it's confronted and tended to, it can be cleansed and sterilized. Isaiah was exposing the sins of God's people not to hurt them but to heal them. And the Lord explained why he had not been answering their prayers lately. Verse 1 goes on to say, Behold, the Lord's hand is not so short that it cannot save, nor is his ear so dull that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden God's face from you so that he does not hear. Sin separates. Say that with me. Sin separates. Sin separates us from God. Sin will separate you from other people. And if you stay in sin, sin will separate you in hell if you don't repent. A prisoner in jail is separated from society. Even so, a sinner who remains in sin is separated from God and from his people. Look at verse 2. It goes on to say, your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. God was not answering their prayers because they wouldn't forsake their sin. Now, everybody has sinned. But if you want God to hear your prayers, you have to repent of sin. You have to turn from sin. Amen. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. Verse 3, for your hands are defiled with blood and your fingers with iniquity. Your lips have spoken falsehood. Your tongue mutters wickedness. They had bloody hands. They had sinful fingers. They had wicked tongues. 
They thought wickedly. And when you think wickedly, guess what? You act wickedly. Isaiah went on. He confronted them, gave them various examples of their sins. They were probably saying, how are we sinning? He said, well, I'll tell you. Verse 4, no one sues righteously. If you have a righteous case, you can go to court. But if you don't have a righteous case, he said, you're guilty of suing without suing righteously. No one sues righteously. No one pleads honestly. Their judicial systems were corrupt. Many of ours are today. People would lie in court. And then he compared them to spiders and snakes. You think I'm tough? This guy is tough. I've never called you a spider. Never called you a snake. But he called them. He said they trust in confusion. They speak lies. They conceive mischief and bring forth iniquity. Verse 5. They hatch adder's eggs and weave the spider's web. He who eats of their eggs dies. And from that which is crushed, a snake breaks forth. Their webs will not become clothing, nor will they cover themselves with their works. Their works are works of iniquity and an act of violence. Rather than return, running from sin, they ran towards sin. Look at verse 7. Their feet run to evil. They hasten to shed innocent blood. Their thoughts are thoughts of iniquity. They traveled on sinful paths that led to destruction. Look at the last part of verse 7. Devastation and destruction are in their highways. They don't know the way of peace. There's no justice in their tracks. They have made their paths crooked. Whoever treads on them does not know peace. Oh, what a picture. What a picture of the repulsiveness of the sins of God's people. When I was young, I can remember my dad had a railroad truck. It was always orange. It always had huge bumpers that would have these wheels that he would let down on the rails that he could go out on the tracks. And one day he loaded a bunch of garbage in the back of the truck and said, let's go to the garbage dump. Well, I was in, you know, I thought junk is cool. I'll go look at the garbage dump. And so we took our junk from the house to a pile, a dump pile. And I can remember the stench of that massive Mound of garbage. It was breathtaking. There were rats, stray dogs, but mostly that smell. It smelled of rottenness. It reeked of death and decay. And I've always thought that's what sin smells like to God. Your sin smells in God's holy nostrils. It's like spiritual garbage. Later in his book, Isaiah spoke about the stench of sin. He said, 
and we'll read this later on as I preach and continue in this book. Isaiah 65, verses 2 and following all day long, God said, I open my arms to a rebellious people, but they follow their own evil paths and their own crooked schemes. All day long, they insult me to my face by worshiping idols in their sacred gardens. They burn incense on pagan altars. At night, they go out among the graves. They worship the dead. They eat the flesh of pigs and they and make stews with other forbidden foods. Yet they say to each other, don't come too close or you will defile me. I'm holier than you. These people are a stench in my nostrils, an acrid smell that never goes away. Sin, friend, whether you know it or not, is repulsive to God. So what do I do, preacher? You're telling me the problem. How do I combat it? When you're sick, you take medicine, don't you? And when you're sinful, here's some medicine you can take. Bathe your brain every day in Scripture. I mean, read it out loud, slowly, and plenty of it. A little dab won't do you. You read the Bible. Get a good study Bible. Read the notes. Remember, everything above the notes are inspired by God. Some of that stuff down there may not be right, but at least read it so you can have some insight into it. And don't just read it. Memorize it. You say, I can't memorize Scripture. You memorize a lot of things. You can memorize the Word. God says you can. Study it. Memorize it. Listen to it preached. If you're going to go to a church, go to a church where they preach the Bible. Don't go to a church where you never hear, open your Bibles, please, and turn to. Don't ever go to a church like that. Sit under the Word of God. Get in a good life group. Get in a discipleship group. Bathe your mind in Scripture and then pray. And sometimes fast. Miss a meal and spend that time in the Word and in prayer. You said, I can't. I take medicine. I take medicine too. You should have seen all the medicine I took this morning. I've been taking medicine for 23 years. But look at me. You can still, anybody can miss one meal. Very few amens on that. Why would I miss a meal? To be alone with God. Just to feed on his word and to say, Lord, you are the sustenance of my soul. I need you more than I need the next meal in my life. I don't understand fasting, but I'm telling you, it puts your prayers in high gear. Even if you just miss one meal, you can fast you can pray, you can keep from sin, asking God to help you. And then be accountable to other Christians. You say, what do you mean? I mean, get other people to pray for you. Tell them, I, I'm struggling in this area. You mean tell people my problems? Yes, tell people your problems. And guess what? They'll tell you their problems. And then y'all just talk about your problems to the Lord. Be accountable to somebody. Don't just be out there living life on your own? Sin is repulsive. And then you don't 
There are some places you don't need to go. If you don't want to fall down, don't walk in slippery places. And if you don't want to sin, don't go to sinful places. Why would you go to a bar? What are you thinking? Why would you go to a place that is dark and filled with all kinds of alcohol and everything? Why would you even think about that? I'll settle down. The best way to, fly, to fight sin is to flee. Don't stand there and try to fight it. Flee from it. Just ask God, oh, help me, Lord. Your sin is repulsive. It's a stench in the nostrils of God. I believe hell won't just be a place of torment. I think it's going to have a repulsive smell that comes from our sins being punished. Oh, I'm grateful today that Jesus is the Savior every sinner needs because he alone can cure the repulsiveness of sin. Secondly, Jesus is the Savior every sinner needs because of the repercussions of sin. Sin causes things to Bad things to happen. What are some of the repercussions of sin? Isaiah gives us several. First of all, he said, sin will depress you and discourage you. Look at verse 9. Therefore, justice is far from us. Righteousness does not overtake us. We hope for light, but behold, darkness. We hope for brightness, but behold, we walk in Gloom. Sin brings spiritual darkness and mental gloom. God gives light. God gives joy. Sin gives darkness, gloom, and despair. Isaiah went on to say in verse 10 that sin blinds people spiritually. He said, we grope along the wall like blind men. We grope like those who have no eyes. We stumble at midday as in the twilight among those who are vigorous. We are like dead men. Their sin and their rebellion debilitated them in every visible way. Then he said their sin also made them irritable. You ever been around somebody that's just irritable? Aren't they a blessing? Sin will make you irritable. And they were lonely in their spirits. Look at verse 11. All of us growl like bears. How many of you know that guy? Anybody know that guy? Growls like a bear. We moan sadly like doves. We're either angry or we're sad. We hope for justice but there is none. We hope for salvation, but it's far from us. Their sins were manifold, and their sins indicted them. Look at verse 12. For our transgressions are multiplied before you, Lord, and our sins 
testify against us. They're a witness in the courtroom of God. Then Isaiah listed some of their sins. Now listen to this. Look at verse 12. It goes on to say, our transgressions are with us. We know our iniquities. Verse 13, transgressing, transgressing and denying the Lord. We transgress against the Lord. We don't keep his word and we deny him. We don't even admit that we belong to him. We turn away from our God. We speak oppression and revolt. We conceive, conceiving in and uttering from the heart lying words. They denied the Lord. They turned away from him. They were oppressive. They had revolting speech that was filled with lies. Then Isaiah gave one of his most compelling statements. You want a verse to memorize this week? Verse 14 would be a great one. This describes many nations in our world and increasingly it describes our own. Justice is turned back. Righteousness stands far away. Truth has stumbled in the street and uprightness cannot enter. I'll read it again. Read it with me. Justice is turned back and righteousness stands far away for truth has stumbled in the street and uprightness cannot enter. Truth has been tripped up. It stumbles in the street. God's people desired the lies of the world rather than the truth of God. The people of Israel were saturated. They were drunk with lies. The governmental leaders were filled with lies. The temple priests were telling lies. Justice and righteousness can't exist in that kind of filthy atmosphere. Truth is gone. It's fallen down in the street. It's in the gutter. Truth is in the gutter and lies abound. That's what he's saying. Like a broken, wounded man. Truth had fallen down in the street. And uprightness, consequently, righteousness couldn't enter. There's no truth. There's no righteousness. There's no uprightness. And if anyone tried to genuinely live for the Lord, he'd be persecuted by people. Look at verse 15. Yes, truth is lacking. Godly people are rare. And he who turns aside from evil makes himself a prey. If you try to live for God, Isaiah says, you put a target on you and people will hurt you. Isaiah was frank. He was candid. No wonder later on wicked Manasseh would saw him in two. But he confronted he comforted the repenters, but he confronted the sinners. And he spoke and preached plainly about the repercussions of sin. Now, the good thing about it is you can sin and God can forgive you. 
You ever thought about how many people in the Bible that we dearly love sinned greatly, yet God forgave them? What about King David committed adultery, deception, murder? But when he repented, God forgave him and went on to be a mighty man of God that glorified the name of the Lord. The Apostle Paul murdered Christians, harassed Christians, persecuted Christians. But he encountered Jesus. He repented. He became a valuable tool in God's hand. He planted multiple churches. He wrote one-third of the New Testament. He's a blessing to this day. I love Paul. The Apostle Peter denied that he knew Jesus three times. He failed the Lord on other occasions. Yet he was the only man that ever walked on water beside Jesus. He was the first to recognize that Jesus was the Christ. And when Mark wrote his gospel, he did it from the teachings of Peter. Peter also has two other letters or epistles in the New Testament. And God used him to teach and to heal and to lead in the church. Rahab the prostitute, remember her? Despite her sinful past, God used her. She risked her life to save the people of God. She's listed in Hebrews 11, the hall of faith in the Bible. And she was the great, great grandmother of King David. She's also listed in the lineage of Jesus in Matthew 1, verse 5. Not bad for a former girl of the night. And what about the prodigal son? He was selfish. He took his part of his father's estate. I can just ask, imagine myself trying to ask Edgar for my share of the estate. I'll give you your share. That boy was not real sharp, was he? He left home. He wasted his wealth in loose and riotous living. And when he got as low as he could be, he came to his senses. He returned home. He said, I'm not worthy to be a son. I'll just be a slave. But when his father saw him, he felt compassion for him. He ran and embraced him and kissed him. Five verbs of salvation. He saw him. He felt compassion for him. He ran to him. He embraced him and he kissed him. And if you've been saved, Jesus did the same thing for you. He saw you in your sin. He felt compassion for you. Jesus ran to you and embraced you and kissed you with the kiss of salvation. Whenever you and I sin, there are repercussions. Adam and Eve didn't realize that one little sin would cause sin to enter the world. Genesis 3, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate. And she gave also to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were open, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves. They tried to cover their own sin. They sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves. First time they ever did that. 
because of sin, from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. What's going on? It's the repercussions of sin. The Bible says in Ezekiel 18 verse 5, verse 4, the soul who sins will die. Say it with me. The soul who sins will die. Romans 6, 23, say this with me. For the wages of sin is death. When the devil entices you, I don't care what it is, it is not worth it. It's not worth it. He plots, he plans to take you down, to ruin your testimony. You can never take a day off in prayer. You can never take a day off in spending time in the Word. You can never take a day off of practicing the presence of God. You can never take a day off as a Christian and as a child of God. Whenever God tells you to do something, you need to do it. And however he tells you to do it, do it that way. Don't do it your way. If you're not careful, sin will fascinate you, but it will also assassinate you. The wages, the paycheck for sin is always death. Oh, the deadly repercussions of sin. Well, Jesus is the Savior every sinner needs. In Isaiah 59, we see the repulsiveness of sin, the repercussions of sin, but I've saved the best for last. All y'all saying, boy, we need something pretty quick, preacher. <laughs> Jesus is the Savior every sinner needs because he's the Redeemer from sin. Aren't you glad to be redeemed? Aren't you glad to be blood-bought? Aren't you glad to have your sins covered by the blood of Jesus? Now the Lord saw, and it was displeasing in his sight, that there was no justice. And he saw that there was no man, no human being. He was astonished that there was no one to intercede. There was no one qualified to come in and fix up the mess. Then his own arm brought salvation to him and his righteousness upheld him. No human could make atonement for man's sin. So God said, okay, I'll do it myself. My own arm will bring forth salvation. My own righteousness will uphold mankind and give him salvation. God solved the dilemma of sin by sending his perfect son, Jesus Christ, to this earth. He was born of a virgin, free from sin. He lived a sinless life. He was tempted, but he never sinned so he could be the atoning sacrifice for the sins of all people. He came to earth completely dressed in the whole armor of God. Jesus did. Look at verse 17. First time in the Bible you see anything about the armor of God. He put on, Jesus did, righteousness like a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on garments of vengeance for clothing and wrapped himself with zeal as a mantle. And though tempted in all ways like we are, Jesus never sinned. He gave forgiveness to anyone who would repent of their sins, believe in him, and receive him as Lord and Savior. And he gave wrath to all who didn't. Look at verse 18. According to their deeds, so he will repay. repay. Wrath to his adversaries, recompense to his enemies, to the coastlands he will make 
recompense. So they will fear the name of the Lord from the west and his glory from the rising of the sun. For he will come like a rushing stream which the wind of the Lord drives. Isaiah then prophesied about Jesus, the redeemer from sin. Look at verse 20. A redeemer will come to Zion, that is to Jerusalem, and to those who turn from transgressions in Jacob, in the land of Israel, that is, declares the Lord. Isaiah is ending this chapter now with one of the greatest verses in Isaiah, verse 21. As for me, God says, this is my covenant with my people, says the Lord, my spirit which is upon you, my words which I have put in your mouth. This is very encouraging now. He ends with an encouraging note. The, the words that I put in your mouth shall not depart from your mouth, nor from the mouths of your offspring or your children, nor from the mouths of your offspring's offspring, says the Lord, from now and forever. He's speaking of generations of salvation. I'm going to bring salvation back to this wicked nation, and I'm going to let you embrace it. And if you will, then your future generations, your future children and your children's children will embrace it as well because I am the redeemer of from sin. I can remember 20 verse 21. I memorized it years ago. And I used to come up to Dyersburg to see my parents when we lived in Alabama and I would a lot of times drive by and say hi to Dr. Rogers. Came by on a Wednesday. I'd already gone up. I was coming back, going back to Gardendale and stopped in Gave him a call. He said, yeah, come on in. And it was on Wednesday night, and he was about to preach. And we were talking in his office, which is now my office. And we were back there, and just the two of us. He said, I need a verse. I need a verse, Steve. Do you know a verse that can talk about generations of people being saved? I said, the last verse in Isaiah 59. He looked at it. He read it. He said, that's perfect. And he came out here and quoted it and never gave me credit. <laughs> but that's all right. Don't you want the future generations in your family to know the Lord? If you will focus on the Lord, if you'll repent of your sin, You'll find that Jesus is a great redeemer. You'll be like the one who says, I am a great sinner, but Christ, say it with me, is a great Savior. And look at me. He's a greater Savior than you are a sinner. He's greater than your sins. And he will forgive you today. Only Jesus can do that. Only Jesus is your redeemer. He's the only one that died on a cross as an atoning sacrifice. He's the only one who said while on the cross, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Today you'll be with me in paradise. Into thy hands I commit my spirit. Only Jesus said those things because Jesus alone is your redeemer from sin. Paul said in Ephesians 1, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us. Paul went on to say in Colossians 1, 
For he rescued us from the domain of darkness, transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption. There it is. He redeemed us, the forgiveness of our sins. Peter said in 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19, knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver and gold from your futile way of life, inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood as of a lamb unblemished, the spotless blood of Christ. Oh, thank Thank you, Jesus, for the blood applied. Thank you, Jesus. It has washed me white. Thank you, Jesus. You've saved my life, brought me out of darkness into glorious light. Have you ever been redeemed? Have you ever been washed in the blood of the Lamb? Lay aside your garments that are stained with sin. Be washed in the blood of the lamb. There's a fountain flowing for the soul unclean. Oh, be washed in the blood of the lamb. Hebrews 9:22 says, all things are cleansed with blood and without shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Are you washed in the blood? In the soul-cleansing blood of the lamb, are your garments spotless? Are they white as snow? Are they washed in the blood of the Lamb? Jesus is the Savior you need today because He is the Redeemer from sin. You know, sometimes when I think about the stench and the repulsiveness of my sin, and I think about the fact that the wages of sin is death, I think about there are repercussions for our sin. I wonder how in the world, how in the world can any of us go to heaven? Sin is so repulsive. The repercussions are so severe. I'll tell you how. We are great sinners, but Jesus is a greater redeemer. Redeemer. 